Well, good morning. It's been quite a week, hasn't it? Uh, with the miracle on the Hudson, how many of you saw that? Wasn't that an amazing news story? I mean, sometimes the news is really fun to watch, and uh, that was good to see. Uh, for those of you who regularly worship here, one of the uh, families that's been a part of our church years ago and then were ministering in India for many years, and they're back here doing some writing and studying at Fuller, uh, their names are Kuma and Kimi. And uh, this past week, as they left the grocery store, they were walking across the street in the crosswalk, and a person was driving into the sun, didn't slow down or see them, and hit them. And uh, the good news is they're both home and recovering, but uh, multiple injuries, and they're going to be pretty sore for a while. And, and uh, so we've been praying for them, and Eddie and I went to see uh, Kuma on uh, Friday. His wife was coming home from the hospital that day as well. And I start with that story because we are in a one-month-to-live challenge. And I'll be saying more about that, but if you're a guest here, for the first six weeks of this year, we're really asking the question, if we only had one month to live, what changes would we make in our life? And so you're coming into week three of this, and that's where they're at this morning. I want to ask a question about roller coasters. How many of you like roller coasters? Dan, what do you like about a roller coaster? Fast? What else? Somebody that likes roller coasters. Tell me why you'd get on that thing. Tickles your stomach. Tickles your stomach. Gives you a thrill. Gives you a thrill. I love speed. I hate heights. And actually, my fear of heights outweighs my love for speed. So I don't like roller coasters. I think I've been on one since Joyce and I were married, and that was very early in our marriage, and I was still trying to impress her, so I got on the thing, uh, scared to death, but uh, I did ride one once. Now, the little Disneyland stuff, I can take that, but you go out to Magic Mountain, you know, where that big old wooden roller coaster, uh, I just couldn't do it. I'd like to be able to, but I couldn't. We're talking uh, today about loving completely, and... In order to love someone, you have to be in relationship with them. And as we seek out to love others, we enter into relationships. And relationships can be described like a roller coaster ride. You agree? I mean, there are big highs, there are ups, and there are downs. Now, on a roller coaster, when you're plummeting down there, you may be jerked to one side or the other as it swings around a corner. And so roller coasters can be described as, uh, uh, as a relationship. And in your worship folder, and I realize I don't have my notes with me. I've got, I've got notes here somewhere. Um, there's these notes. And you might want to pull these out because we're going to be talking about these this morning. And just very quickly, as we enter into relationships, there are some challenges we have. And uh, the first challenge, if we're going to continue with the roller coaster idea, is as you go up that roller coaster, to me the most terrifying part really is not going down, it's going up. And as you go up an old-fashioned wooden roller coaster, there's that click, click, you know, and all you can see is sky, and you get higher and higher, and you can look out over the horizons, and that's what bothers me, that getting higher and higher. You climb that mountain. Well, in relationships, there can be a mountain of misunderstanding. I have to confess that, uh, well, let me ask the question first. Spouses, you know, if you're married, you can answer this question. How many of you, husband or wife, have ever slept on the couch? I see a few honest people here. Uh, my hand is up, by the way. I mean, I'm not just... Eddie, you've never slept on the couch? Uh, 
Well, I remember Joyce and I hadn't been very, married very long. We'd known each other and dated for a long time, but we were at a party or something. I don't remember what it was. And when we got home, um, and Joyce has shared this publicly, so I'll share it, uh, before she met the Lord, she had quite a temper. And when we got home, uh, I saw evidence of that temper because she thought I had said something very bad about her at the party. And she said, why did you call me? And I, my eyes got bad. I said, honey, I never call you that. I wouldn't say that. I don't even talk like that. And she was quite sure she had heard me say something about her that wasn't flattering or good. And uh, we went round and round. And guess where I slept that day or night? On the couch. Yeah. Do you remember that? She does remember. Okay. Uh, that was my first experience on the couch. Things have gotten better. But uh, in relationships, we often have misunderstandings. That's my only point. The second challenge is that uh, we sometimes fly through the tunnel of selfishness. In class 101, we were talking last week about what breaks the relationship we have with God and why is that relationship broken and what breaks my relationship with every other human being. Jot down these three letters. S-I-N. Circle the middle letter. What is it? I. The big problem I have in relationships is I, selfishness. My ego. And the big problem you have is your selfishness, and that's another challenge for us. Um, I want what I want. Joyce wants what she wants, and that can be a challenge. Now, thirdly, another challenge is the valley of mistakes. Because I'm selfish, I hurt Joyce. Or I hurt anybody I'm in relationship with if I'm in relationship long enough, and they may hurt me. And so, so these are some of the challenges as we talk about loving completely. These are some of the challenges that come our way. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, this morning, um, we are in week three of One Month to Live. And last week, we looked at the reality that as Jesus lived his life, he knew exactly how much time he had. And he lived passionately. And I tried to encourage us, what is your passion? What has God called you to do? Why are you here? What's the mission God wants you to carry out? And we talked about living passionately. And Jesus is the example. He knew what God wanted him to do, and he did it. And we talked about how we can discern God's will for us and do it, and we'll be in the sweet spot of living. Now, today, we're moving on to another theme, which is that of love completely. And would someone read this scripture? We're going to put up the verse from uh, from John, the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 1. Someone just stand up and read this. We'll put it up on the screen. Thank you. This comes from John, chapter 13, verse 1. If you're studying the Gospel of John and you were going to make an outline, you would divide it into two sections. It'd be verse, chapters 1 through 12 and chapters 13 and following. Now, in chapters 1 through 12, Jesus is busy. You remember the story when Jesus changes water into wine. He's at a wedding feast and blesses that feast. He does that miracle. And in those early chapters, Jesus is out and about, and he meets lots of people. He does miracles. He's teaching. He's very active. In John chapter 13, there's a fundamental change. Now he's talking to his disciples, just the twelve. And it's like there's a a meeting with these men. And he sits down with them, and he begins to do several things. And in this scripture, it says that he talked to them at this feast time, and it says he showed them the full extent of his love. What does that mean, Jesus showed the disciples the full extent of his love? How do we understand that? Well, as you look at what happens in chapter 13, and we'll come to this before in Holy Week at Monday, Thursday, we look at this chapter every year. What did Jesus do? In 
John 13, he washed the disciples' feet. You remember, he got up, he took a towel, he took a basin, and he washed the disciples' feet, and he said to them that, I want you to do as I have done. He gave them a very practical lesson. So to show, when he showed them the full extent of his love, the very first action of Jesus was actually to serve the disciples, to wash their feet. Now, John chapter 13 begins a section where in chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16, Jesus is teaching these men. And he talks to them about his life and obeying the Father and going to the Father and all that he's about. They don't understand a lot of it, but he tells them the Holy Spirit's going to come. And there's some rich teaching there. So Jesus teaches them. That's another thing he did to show them the full extent of his love. He talked to them about God the Father. And then finally, in chapter 17, he prays for them, and then he goes through the passion scene that we all know about. So when the Scripture says that Jesus showed them the full extent of his love, or he loved his own until the very end, what did he do? He actually served them, the towel in the basin. He taught them, and then he went and died on the cross for them. And, of course, the greatest example of love we know of is Jesus' death on the cross. Now, as you think about your life, if you only had one month to live, I think all of us would be, want to be a more loving person. We'd ramp up our love. We'd just be done with hate and pettiness and some of that stuff because we realize time is short. And I want to give you two words today that will help you as you think about what does it mean to love? How do I live this out on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and so forth? And the first word is this. It's the word acceptance. Acceptance. When we begin to love like Jesus loved, we become a more accepting person. Would you read with me uh, Romans chapter 15, verse 7, Paul's uh, writing to the Roman church. Let's read this together. Accept one another, then just as Christ has accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. Now, when you find someone who's difficult to accept, remember, God's accepted you. And that's how, by being accepted yourself, you can then accept someone else, because God has accepted them. Now, here's, let me give you a definition of acceptance. And there could be many, but one definition of acceptance is this. Stop trying to change me and start trying to cherish me. Oh, my. Stop trying to change me and start trying to cherish me. Now, a couple uh, last weekend, the staff and I spent Friday and Saturday together on a retreat. (coughs) The woman leading our retreat's name is Karen, and she was talking to us about how to have listening conversations and how to have healthy interaction and conversations with each other. And she gave us lots of information, but as I was thinking about the message today, I thought, ah, she said, you know, if you're going to, these are the principles of a learning conversation. First of all, listen. Listen, intend to understand rather than to respond. When we're listening, what's our tendency? We prepare a response. We all do that. She's saying, why don't you just listen? Don't worry about what you're going to say next. Secondly, she said, be less certain, disengage your own practiced patterns. Be less certain as you listen. And then, as you listen, invite differences. Move away from either or and embrace both and. And she gave us two other things. She said, slow down, leave space between speakers. Just slow down in your listening. And then finally, she said, ask yourself, wonder in front of each other. Just kind of wonder out loud. Now, I want to come back to one of these because it has to do with this idea of accepting. If we're going to love completely, we've got to somehow learn how to be accepting. Now, 
as you think about being less certain, she says, disengage your own practice patterns. What does that mean? <coughs> Several years ago, three I think, Caleb and Eli and I went up to Idlewild camping. They're my grandsons. And I think Caleb was about six at the time. And we had been out fishing or hiking. He was pretty tired. We came back about lunchtime. We started the fire, and I cooked some lunch. And so I was about done with cooking the lunch, and the kids were helping me, and we were going to have macaroni, craft macaroni and cheese and some fruit. And as we got the macaroni and cheese together, Caleb said, I don't like mac and cheese. I said, oh, that's fine. So this went on a little bit, and then he wanted to know what else was for lunch. And I said, well, we're having mac and cheese and this fruit. That's it. Do I have to eat it? I said, no, you don't have to eat it. Well, I'm hungry. I said, yeah. So this is going back and forth. You know, he's kind of pushing me to get him something else. And uh, then I said, Caleb. He said, yeah, Papa. I said, this is camping mac cheese. You've never had mac cheese on a camp trip, have you? No. I said, well, you might try it. It's a little different. It's good. He ate three helpings. Now, what did Caleb have to do? He didn't know he did this, but he had to disengage from his practiced patterns. He just had to let go for a while. Now, I asked him after that camp trip recently, so you like mac and cheese now? What do you think he said? No. He doesn't eat it. He just ate it on the camping trip. But because he disengaged from his practiced patterns and accepted my response that this was camp mac cheese, he was able to move down the road a bit in his cuisine. Now, all I'm saying is, as we seek to love others, you've got to remember this word acceptance. Somehow, I'm going to have to get by my own practiced patterns and being accepting of you and you of me. Now, in, in, uh, well, I'm going to give you another word in a minute, but as I was thinking this week about loving completely, um, and I was thinking, you know, Paul says in the Bible, follow me. And as a Christian, this probably makes you nervous. You don't like to do this. But, you know, you really should be able to say to other people, follow me, just live like I live. I mean, that's what Paul did. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. And he used the word mimic, example. Follow my example, mimic me. And I think that uh, one of the ways we grow is by following other people, to hear stories and so forth. And as I was thinking about loving completely, Jeanette's shoulder came to my mind. Jeanette and her husband David have been longtime members of our church here. David was a professor at Fuller Seminary for years, a New Testament scholar, a very gregarious, loving person. And over the last few years, as I've been pastor here, it's been my privilege to get to know them. And as I have observed Jeanette, she, she just immediately came to my mind, as I thought, someone who loves completely. Because uh, in 2002, David came down with cancer, serious cancer, cancer they couldn't cure. And he passed away on August 22nd of, of this past year. During that time, uh, to say that David fought a battle with cancer, war is a better world, word, World War III would be a better word. I mean, what the man had to go through, it was amazing. But he didn't just, just go through that himself, did he? Jeanette went through it with him. And it was my privilege to observe some of this. And as I said at David's uh, funeral service to Jeanette, I said, you know, Jeanette, some people would have walked out. And you and I realize that when crisis comes into a life, sometimes marriages break up. They don't get stronger. They just quit. And yet that didn't happen. And so I asked Jeanette, I said, this can be hard to do maybe, but if she would share a little bit about, I said, Jeanette, how could you be so accepting? Your life changed so radically. And how could you be so faithful? And so I've asked Jeanette if she would come and just share a little bit of that. Jeanette, if you'll come on, we'd, we'd love to hear
In 2002, when David was diagnosed with colorectal cancer, we experienced many changes to life as we'd known it. The previous year, David had flown over 50,000 miles and was gone from home many days. In 2002, he flew none, and apart from time in the hospital, was never gone from home. But it was in the day-to-day living that we both had to make numerous adjustments to his living with a colostomy, with the routines of numerous doctor's appointments, treatments, tests, and the reduced physical strength that David had for any of the multitude of daily individual tasks and what had been his normal participation in maintaining our household. Shortly after his first surgery and in the long, slow recovery that followed, during which he was also having radiation treatments and chemotherapy for most of 2002, David said, I don't think life will ever be normal again. And I responded, we'll just have to find a new normal. Some of you will recall that in his sermon in September 2005 on living with cancer, and by then David's cancer had metastasized and been deemed incurable, and so he was in continuing and constant fatiguing treatment. David said that often on awakening, he longed for just one day of feeling normal. Jointly, Our new normal way of life meant lots of practical adaptations. For instance, not only could he not travel easily, my trips to family and friends alone were curtailed. I did make two short trips away from David in 2003, one for the surgery of a precious friend, some of you know, Juhi Shin, and the other to help with the birth of a grandson, And in 2004, I made a short trip shortly after our granddaughter's birth. But for the four years from 2004 to 2008, we were together every day, which had never been a pattern of our lives. And when we did fly together, we arranged for first-class upgrades for David, and I flew economy. In day-to-day life, the adjustments were as simple as David needing help with putting on his socks and tying his shoes and carrying his brief bag and my learning a variety of nursing skills. A refrain that often went through my mind had the words of a hymn from Ghana written down by Tom Colvin, Yesu, Yesu, fill us with your love. The first stanza is based on... John 13 tells of Jesus kneeling to wash the disciples' feet, master who serves as a slave to them. And a later stanza became a background for me in many of the tasks as I helped David. Loving puts us on our knees, serving as though we were slaves. There were wonderful things that we discovered in this new normal. Because we loved to attend concerts, opera, and plays together, we became matinee goers. We considered, and church, of course, was always possible. (laughs) 
we considered outings to a favorite seafood restaurant in Malibu as a little vacation. We took three cruises together because that style of vacation fit our new normal better than other travel. David could still teach, and it became my priority to facilitate his continuing that at Fuller and in some church contexts. Teaching was life-giving for him and such a ministry to others, including me. We could still have friends in for meals and go out to eat. We just kept the hours early. The Shoulder Inn kept pretty busy with visits from family and friends who came to see us. But it was also in the ordinariness of life together that we found sweetest joys. So that in this past and final summer of David's life, confinement for both of us to our home was precious because we were together. Years ago, a young friend who wanted David to perform her wedding asked him how one could promise to love, honor, and cherish for all the future when the person you were marrying could and undoubtedly would change over the years. David gave a very wise answer that each of us the one making the promises changes as well. And yet we anticipate continuing to love ourselves in the years ahead. Remember, Jesus said to love others as we love ourselves. So that in the same way, we could promise to love someone for the rest of our life, regardless of the changes. In the 48 years of our marriage, I found that being open to accept the changes of the years added to the richness and depth of our love, always supported by the grace and love of the one who loves us as we are. Just as I am is not a hymn just for conversion. It expresses the reality of life and accepting love. Thank you so much, Jeanette, and uh, thank you for your uh, incredible example to me and I know to many, many others of, of loving completely and uh, appreciate your willingness to, to share uh, that with us. So, number one, if you're going to love completely, you're going to have to learn this matter of acceptance. And that's a a, a good word that uh, Jeanette used, the new normal. (laughs) Acceptance, acceptance of what's in your life. Now, let me give you the second word. The second word is action, action. The Bible says, and we could use many verses at this point, the Bible says this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Jesus Christ set the example by giving his life. That was his action, and his ultimate action was his death on the cross for us, and that sets the stage. Now, in this idea of action, uh, I want to give you three words that are going to be helpful. And the first is forgive, to forgive. Uh, 
To forgive is difficult. But as you and I live our lives, and it's interesting, and it's not always true, but it's interesting as you talk about people whose lives are shortened, they know when they're going to die, uh, they're not people who want to uh, leave this business of forgiveness undone. They want to be forgiven if that needs to happen, and they want to forgive. They just don't want to have the baggage that, that not forgiving is meant to carry. And uh, I'd like to show you another testimony that uh, comes from this series of a woman who was doing the One Month to Live campaign and uh, shared this testimony. So let's watch this video, if we could, of the uh, watch. example of well, forgiveness. Well, 2006 was pretty much a devastating year for me. Um, I had been with my husband for 30 years, and at Christmas he presented me with divorce papers. And I didn't think that I would ever experience anything more painful and more devastating than that until April the 13th. 2006 came along. Brian is my, was my 22-year-old son who was away at college. Brian was found on a couch with his guitar, and they had just assumed that maybe he had, through the depression of his father leaving, because Brian took that very, very hard, that maybe he had taken drugs or something. As a mother, I knew that that wasn't true because my son had a relationship with God. He had been baptized in 2000. On October the 4th, I got a telephone call from the district attorney telling me that two men had been arrested in Brian's death for killing him. One of the young men who had been on a parole violation uh, when Brian was killed, um, they had settled with another county his charges and he was being extradited to the county where Brian was killed and uh, would stand trial the next week which was the 9th of October and could I come and make a statement and then I prayed to God just God just help me here because I, I don't know what to do well I met in the district attorney's office and he asked me if I had my statement and I said actually I do I have a copy of it here and she said may I see it and so he read the letter and he excused himself and came back and uh, and he said we're going to take you into the courtroom and so they took me into the courtroom and they brought Jeremy into the to the box and here's the young man that is on trial for the death of my son then the judge said, Miss McDonough, uh, you know, now is your time to speak. And so he brought me up to the front of the court, and then he started telling me, Now, Miss McDonough, this is a court of law, and we will not have any shouting or cussing or, or any kind of anger directed at the at the young man and you know you you must speak in a dignified tone and um, and you may have the floor when when you're ready and I just picked myself back up and I said you know I don't know what you were thinking on April the 13th when Brian died and I'm not really sure that it even matters now but what does matter is what you're thinking now and uh, so, I just want you to know that I forgive you, and I do it selfishly, because uh, 
I see God standing over there with his hand on your shoulder. Pleading with me to forgive you. And this was part of my letter to Jeremy that uh, from this day forward, it is my prayer that you be a saver of lives and not one that destroys lives. Your path has made it possible for you to be a shining example of the power of God in someone's life. If Brian's life had to be sacrificed so that you are able to save thousands of broken lives, including your own, then he did not die in vain. And I find comfort in God's will being dead. Before we walked out, Jeremy said, Miss McDonough, he said, I would hug you if I could, but if I were to even start towards you, these men would throw me down on the floor. And I said, that's all right, Jeremy. I, I know how you feel. And so when we're walking out, of course, they escorted him out first. And his box was right there that he had to sit in. So when I went by, I patted him on the back. And just and when I did that, I saw the judge stand up, and he goes, "Miss McDonough," and I thought, "I'm fixing to go to jail for assault or something." And he said, "Will you come here?" And I and I went over to to where he was, and he reached over and put out his hand, and he goes, uh, "I just want to tell you that that was just an incredible letter, and may I have a copy of it?" He said, "Because there are other people." that need to hear those words that you said. I just think that if you have an opportunity to reach your hand out and grab somebody and say, come over to this side and experience love, and that's what you should do. And I would spend my 30 days just reassuring Jeremy that life can be so good and to be this incredible young man that he can be. Wow. I hardly know what to say after that. But a uh, true story of a woman who's practicing loving completely and forgiving. And I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if you could do that. But uh, these kinds of stories, it's not the only story like that. And so today, as we've met together, it's been on my heart. I thought, you know, how many sermons have you heard on love? How many sermons have I preached on love? You know the scripture. What can we do to motivate ourselves to realize that if, if we knew our time was near, we would be more loving people? I know I would. And I want to challenge you today to take these stories that we're hearing and to put your love into action and do what the Spirit of God asks you to do. So the first word under action is forgive Forgive those who hurt you. The second word is be faithful to those you've committed to. <clears throat> Jeanette shared, and she has lived among us, as one who was faithful to her commitments. I came across this letter. This letter was written probably, uh, well, about eight or nine years ago, so it's a little out of date, and that will come clear in a minute. But um, let me read to you this letter about faithfulness, and it's a letter by a student under John Wooden. John Wooden, of course, is the famous basketball coach. He turned 98 years old last October. And here's the letter, or a section of it. There has never been a finer person in American sports than John Wooden or a finer coach. He won 10 NCAA basketball championships at UCLA, the last in 1975. Nobody has ever come with even six of them. He won 88 straight games. Nobody has won within 42 cents. 
There has never been another coach like Wooden, loyal to one woman, loyal to one school, loyal to one way, walking around the campus in sensible shoes and Jimmy Stewart morals. Discipline yourself, and others won't need to, coach would say. Never lie, never cheat, never steal, and earn the right to be proud and confident. And then after some other stories, he says this, and again, this is where the letter is dated. Wooden is now almost 90 years old, but on the 21st of the month, the best man I know will do what he always does on the 21st of every month. He will sit down and he will pen a letter to his best girl. He'll say how much he misses her and loves her and can't wait to see her again. Then he'll fold it once, slide it into a little envelope, and walk into his bedroom. By the way, he lives in a small condo in, uh, I think, Encino or in San Fernando Valley. He'll go to the bedroom. He'll go to the stack of love letters sitting there on her pillow, untie the yellow ribbon, place the new one on top, and tie the ribbon again. The stack will be 180 letters high because on the 21st, it will be 15 years to the day since Nellie, his beloved wife of 53 years, died. In her memory, he sleeps on his half of the bed, only on his pillow, only on top of the sheets, never between them, and just because and just uses the old bedspread to help keep him warm. You see, that's the, kind of com that's the key to commitment and to lasting love, just another example of faithfulness and commitment. And so I encourage us, as we think about how do I love completely, I'm a forgiver, I'm faithful, and then the last one, I'm a servant. I'm a servant. I do what Jesus did. I serve others. And service begins at home. <clears throat> I know in your outline it says, serve those who can't help you, and we need to do that, but we begin by serving those that are immediately around us, those at home. That's where it starts. It's pretty lame to be out there serving everybody in the world, but those around you are not served. Your spouse, your friend, a good companion. And so the service begins at home, and it reaches out to others. Now, this morning as we've talked about... Um, this principle, love completely. What is it the Spirit of God is saying to you? As you look back over this, uh, <coughs> what is the Spirit of God saying to you this morning that He'd nudge you along so that you can be a person who loves more completely? Are you accepting? Are you able to do some of the things we've talked about here? Are you taking action to forgive others and to be forgiven, to be faithful, and to serve? And I'd like for you to be thinking about that. And at the end of our service, in just a moment, we're going to have some prayer partners here. I'd encourage you to come forward, even if it's just for a simple prayer with another person, to lift up a prayer to Jesus and say, God, help me to be a more loving person. Now, I want us to, to stand and sing a hymn of response that's really a song to invite God into your life to help you be a person who loves completely. So the praise team is going to come and, Ted, uh, lead us in this song. Would you stand with me?